weekend so far. Uh, my wife and I are really grateful that you guys have had us here in Dallas. Uh, I grew up here, so it's great to be able to uh, be back. Uh, my wife is uh, from Philadelphia, so she has a prejudice toward people from Dallas. But now she loves you guys, so you guys have made that all worth it. Um, so anyway, we're grateful to be here. Grateful you guys have invited us. And we get a chance to continue in our theme of Revealed this weekend. So hop on over to Deuteronomy 29. And we'll take, take us back to Mount Sinai and the uh, revealing of the law toward the Israelites. Uh, this has been a great weekend to be able to meet most of you. I know I've forgotten a few names, but that's okay. I'm, we're, getting, we're getting better at it. Uh, but uh, retreats are an incredible time. Oh, wow, Revealed. Um, <laughs> On theme. So, retreats are an incredible time. One of the temptations after a retreat is to have this great emotional high. You you get home and you're like, man, I can take on the world. And uh, the truth is is that Satan's, you know, he's waiting right outside that door for all of us. And so, we want to be able to not just be emotionally, uh, you know, high after we get out of here, but also to really be equipped spiritually to take on Satan and take on his schemes and his attacks. And, uh, you know, we appreciate you guys letting us speak. Uh, when I first moved to Charlottesville, uh, my wife and I, we weren't married at the time, but we moved to Charlottesville to lead the church. And one of my first sermons, there was an older lady in the church who was there. And uh, after my sermon, she came up to me and said, you know, Drew, I'm going to have to pray really hard to get something out of your lesson. And um, I know, right? And I said, oh, my God. And I, I was like, wow. I was like kind of laughed like that was really audacious. And so I was like, oh, wow. OK, well, is there anything I, I could have done better? And she looks at me and goes, that's something that you'll have to learn only from God. <laughs> I was like, well, thanks for this interaction. This really helped me. Uh, basically, I stunk it up and only God can help me with that. OK, but uh you know, uh, a friend of mine once said, if, if, the, if the only thing you do is read scripture in a lesson, it's a good lesson. So we're going to go ahead and do that in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. That we may follow all the words of this law. We talked about this on Friday. Jeff did a great job last night talking about the revealed self. Uh, and now we're going to talk a little bit more about what it really means to what the, what the importance of revelation is or something to be revealed. Uh, things that are revealed are not always a good thing. Like when the lady talked to me, she revealed some things to me. It was a little discouraging. Um, sometimes things that are revealed are very exciting. Uh, it kind of just depends on it depends on what is being revealed. Uh, And so we're going to talk today about what is it that's actually being revealed? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And then what do we do with it? But when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and he gives the law, all the words of this law. Remember the original title in, in the Hebrew, the book of Deuteronomy is these are the words. These are the words. Basically, these are the words that you must live by and your children must live by. If you can live by these words. If you, can, if you can follow the words, then blessings are going to come your way. If you don't follow the words, then curses are going to come your way. It's a pretty easy distinction to make. Simply just follow these words. 
But Moses knew something, and he even says it in Deuteronomy. He says, listen, when you come into the land of Canaan, there's going to be a lot of other temptations out there. There's going to be idols, and these idols are going to take you away from God. And so a couple really big popular verses in Deuteronomy that are really well known. We talked about one Friday, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, hear the Lord, the Lord our God. He is our God, and He is one. Uh, so he, there's one God and he's ours and that's Yahweh, which is a big deal because in the world, there's not one God. There's many gods and not just for them, but for us as well. We face a world full of many gods and many deities. And so another popular passage, and I love this one, I actually wrote, I wrote a paper on this verse in college and it's in Deuteronomy 10, 16. It says, therefore, cleanse your heart and stop being so stubborn. That's cleaned up for us because we're. We're uh, modern day Westerners, but the literal is man, circumcise your heart and not your garments. Basically, don't don't tear your flesh. Don't uh, or sorry. Don't tear your um, your robes. Don't just outwardly change. Change inwardly. Don't just look like you're a disciple. Actually be one. Don't say, oh, man, my sin. It really, really gets me. All right. I got to go and then leave out here and then don't go back to the, the pig slop once you leave here. It's not really about the, it's, I mean, I love being here, but it is really tempting. And we get really good at it subconsciously to just kind of do the right thing. And then we go back into the world. We talked about it Friday. We go back into the world and we blend right in with our sports teams, with our, with our bands, with our, our, our student, with our cl- other classmates. We, we don't look any different than uh, anyone else. And that's a, a big danger that we have uh, this morning. I have two points, and they're going to come together to form one sentence. But I'm not going to tell you those points just yet. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait on that one. So uh, a little suspense building on that one. Um, but one of the things that is tempting, tempting for the Israelites is this temptation of idolatry. An idol is anything in your life. Now, they actually had these gods that they uh, pray to. And that's actually how a lot of the world still exists. If you go to India, there's idols everywhere. We don't necessarily have those, but we do still have idols. An idol is anything in your life. Have you ever done this? So say this sentence in your, in your mind or in your heart right now. If I lost this, I couldn't live. I couldn't be happy. Without this, fill it in, I could never be happy. There's your idol. You got it? Okay, so and then maybe it's a couple things. If I, if I didn't have this, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't live. And a lot of times it's any of these things. I mean, sometimes it's, it's money. Sometimes we, we, and we pour so much of our life into a career. Maybe you've spent like four, five, six years trying to get your degree. And you're like, man, I got to make some money to make sure that what I've done is not invalidated. Yeah. And if I don't make money, and I, I must be nothing. If I don't make money, I'm not going to be able to be happy. How about love, right? If I, man, if I don't have, if I don't have a girlfriend, if I don't have a boyfriend, you know, a lot of people here are already, in the campus are already married, or you want to be married, right? Or it's, it couldn't even be, it might even just be friendship. If I don't have this person as a, a close friend, man, if I didn't have that, I, I'd be nothing. If I lost, and even if you are married, your wife can still be your idol. Your kid, I don't only applies to a few of you, but if you have kids, it can still be your idol, Right? If I lost this, I would be crushed. I would have nothing. 
We are still enslaved. We're in a, in a world of idolatry. America has idols everywhere, but we don't, we don't call them idols. People sacrifice their life for these things. I like this last one. You might find this one pretty common, this, this arm flexing here. Basically, a big idol nowadays for young people is independence. Is, you, know, you know what? I don't have any idols, Drew. I do whatever I want. I don't let anyone tell me what to do. I do, I, I, I just, I march to the beat of my own drum. I, you know, and, and it's like this, you, you pretend like you don't have idols, and then that's your idol. Your idol is yourself. Your idol is, I'm in charge. Well, your idol is your own independence. If you didn't have your independence, you'd be done. So everyone's got an idol. Everyone's got something that their heart yearns for. And idols are tricky because God made us to, uh, in his own image, right? And God is, uh, is not a singular God. Remember uh, in, the, in, the, in the garden, God says, uh, you know, let us make them in our image. And you go, who's us? God, I thought you were kind of by yourself. Well, God's not just by himself there. As we know, he had another guy with him and probably even some more uh, spiritual beings with him. So even God is, is, a, is a communal God. And we actually are made to crave intimacy but Satan tries to give us all the shortcuts to that intimacy. And idols destroy communities. Idols will destroy your joy. They will make you depressed. Idols will make you feel lonely. Idols will, will sneak into even our church. And your idol for me, my idol was success in the ministry. A lot of you guys want to go into the full-time ministry or we want to serve in the church somehow. And if you don't get that, you're crushed. I remember when I first got to Charlottesville for a long time, actually, I would preach. And if my lesson went really well, and I kind of would gauge that based on feedback. If it went really well, I was doing great for a week. I was like, I was so happy. And I, you could tell I was smiling. I was, I, was, I, was, I was excited. But sometimes, you know, one time I preached. And I can always trust Jenny to give me really honest feedback. So one time I preached. And I just had a, I had a sense. I just... I, you know how you kind of have a sense that didn't really go so well. Um, and, I, and, I, and I preached and I asked Jenny on the way home. I said, do you have any? And I asked that, that horrifying question. Do you have any feedback for me? Um, and, you know, it's one thing to ask somebody you don't really know. Oh, Drew, did great. But, but to ask your wife, I mean, she's going to be real. And so she and then she said the thing I, I didn't want to hear. She goes, do you want me to be honest? And, and at that point, I'm at a crossroads because my answer was, no, I don't want to. Uh, never mind. We'll just keep driving home here. But as funny as it was, it actually, for the next couple of days, I was really down. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? Next time I preach, I'm going to work twice as hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work twice as hard because I need to be a good preacher. Because I need to be a good minister because that's who I am. I was getting my my validation from my identity as a preacher. And it was making me go up and down and up and down. And it wasn't, it wasn't, I was trying to find my truth within. And the world tries to make our, make us find our truths based on us. And spoiler alert, we are all over the place. We're up and down and all around. And we're just, we're tossed back and forth by the winds and waves of every kind of teaching. And the world Satan is sneaky. He realizes that he could either give you 100% poison right now or he could feed you 1% poison over the next 10, 20 years. And he gets you to drift just like those 
those plants that pop up and are choked by the thorns. And you look good now, and sure, it's not a big deal. It's, you know, you've probably heard about the frog in the, in the kettle, where if you adjust the temperature over time, the frog doesn't realize the change in temperature. And you can actually boil a frog alive if you, if you incrementally change the temperature. Because it's so gradual that he doesn't recognize that he's actually boiling alive. And sometimes our drifts can be a gradual drift from Jesus. And we don't even realize how far we've fallen. And it's an incredibly scary thing and it's an incredibly effective thing. If you're Satan, it makes sense, right? I mean, if someone comes in here with really blatant sin, everyone's going to jump and try to help. But if everyone's sort of slowly watering down the expectation of the gospel, he can get this whole church, your family of churches to be destroyed by simply feeding you subtle idols and idols that are accepted by the world. It's really good to, I'm independent, I work hard. You know what the world says? What an industrious young man. He's a self-made man or a self-made woman. She, you know what? She doesn't need no man for her. She is something. She doesn't find any sort of validation in a man. No, she's just replaced a man with a job. Now she has a career for an idol instead of a man. Congratulations. It'll still end the same way. And so we, but then the other temptation we get into is for most of us sitting in this room, we're Christians or we're seeking to become Christians. And we say, you know, I love Jesus. He's, Jesus is my guy. He's my, you know, I, I love Christ. But what happens slowly is Jesus becomes the means to an end. And you think, you know what? If I just go after Jesus with all my heart, he's going to give me that sweet wife that I want. If I go after Jesus, of course, he's going to give me the job I want. You ever um, assume because something is paying you more money, it's from God? Oh, I got promoted. That's from God. Because I'm getting more money, God must have wanted me to be, you know, this must be from God. I got a job offer for more money. Must be God's will. Why in the world is it God's will? Because you get more money? But that's how we think. This girl likes me back. Must be God's will. Why? What's your logic? Well, the problem is, is you want her to like you back. You want money. And so it's, it's, we, can, we can see God in our own image. And then it's, it's, it's really scary because the, anything in your life that's, a, that's negotiable is your means. And anything in your life that's non-negotiable is your ends. What in your life is a non-negotiable? You think, nope, can't do it. Because Satan will attack that and you will fall away from Christ. And you won't say that. You'll say, I just found another church and uh, they're just like you. But uh, don't worry, I'm not struggling. I found another church and and I'm still a Christian. But uh, this one's just going to let me keep my job. This one's going to let me still play sports. This one's going to let me. No, it's just that Christ is negotiable for you. That's all it is. Football is a non-negotiable for you. That girl, your kid, uh, your class, your grades, your perception, ministry, those are all non-negotiables, but you're willing to negotiate with the Christ expectation. You're willing to negotiate here if you can get what you want. And this is the problem because when we don't get these things, and we're in this life, you will have trouble. It was mentioned, right? But Earlier today, but you know, we're going to have things go wrong. We're going to have pain in our life. People will let you down. That woman that you desperately crave to have is just a woman. She ain't Jesus. She's going to fail you. Your husband, I don't care who he is. 
He ain't Jesus. He's going to fail you. The job will fire you. Or, or even more scarily, the job will pay you exactly what you want and more. Your independence will not save you. It won't. And sadly, we just, Jesus just becomes a means to an end. And we'll use Jesus as long as he's advantageous for us now. But the second four, five, six years go by and we don't have that job or that, or that man, we will leave Jesus to go find it. Because that is our non-negotiable. And that is the scary reality that the Israelites face going into this new land. Moses knew it. You got to listen to these words. Come back to the truth. You know, when Moses shares what he shares, he does something that most all religions do, which is if you obey, you know, like Islam has the five pillars and, you know, the Book of Mormon and, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, they all have, if you, if you obey, you'll be accepted. And this is more or less what Moses is doing in Deuteronomy. If you obey, you'll be accepted. And we understand that. But at the same time, it's, 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 it's still, it's still a, a struggle to obey because we are all really bad at obeying. <laughs> like we are. And you can think, oh, that guy up there, he's, he's preaching and, you know, he's, he's got a white polo on. And, oh, man, he must, he must be something. I'm not. I, I struggle to obey. Probably just like you do. Uh, I struggle to obey all the time. Uh, quiet times. Uh, a prayer. I was really convicted by the prayer lesson yesterday. It's like, man, how's my prayer life? Am I, am I really obeying in regard to prayer? Uh, what are my non-negotiables? Even as I'm writing this lesson, I'm like, what are my non-negotiables? And is, is, is my success probably my non-negotiable? You know, because the, the challenge is we will all struggle to obey. We will all fail. And we can't leave here going, just obey as best as you can. All right, let's close out with a prayer. You know We'd all be like, that's really hard, right? And we'd get bitter, we'd get angry, and then we'd get depressed because it's an impossible standard. We can't, and, we, and the sad part is, is that we compare ourselves to each other, which is unfair. Uh, we compare ourselves to our parents. We compare ourselves to some fake online reality. Uh, we look at our Facebook friends. We look at these things. One of the biggest, one of the most, uh, uh, the, the, big, the big rise in mental health problems nowadays is I think a disparity between reality and, 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 um, and fantasy. So, you know, when you, for a lot of us, we go online and we see, you know, thousands of Facebook friends, thousands of followers. But then when, our fam- when our, someone in our family dies, none of those people are there to cry with us. When we really are down and, and, and depressed, no one's there to, to knock on our door and say, how you doing? Can I, can I sit with, with you all night? Can I be with you? Can I pray with you? I'm never giving up on you. And I think people realize, wow, I thought I had friends. I really don't. Because the reality is with idols, they're, they're easier. Uh, a computer can never, a computer screen can never love you back. It can never empathize with you. It can never be there for you. It can never hold your hand. It can never put their arm around you. It can never laugh with you. It can never feel what you're feeling. And Satan has got us giving our hearts and our best. We're giving all of our passion to technology, to idols. We're giving all of our passion to social injustice, which is a very important thing. But when you give all your passion to social injustice and you have nothing left for Jesus, that's your idol. So, uh, spoiler alert, sin's not leaving the world anytime soon. No amount of legislation or no president will ever get rid of sin in the world. 
So let's not, I mean, it's important, but it's not nearly as important as who's Lord of the universe. And we have no passion left for him because we're giving it away online. We're giving it away on our really opinionated statuses. We're giving it away and we get angry and we get frustrated and we think, man, we bring that in and we have nothing left for Jesus. And the, 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 the reality is when we try to use Jesus as a means to an end for love or for success or for power or for acceptance, we will lose both. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this reality. And then we're up, and we're down, and we're, yeah, you guys feel this sometimes? You're up, and you're down, and you're up. And you're at church, like, things are awesome. Next week, you're like, I can't go to church. And then Wednesday, you're like, I'll be at church. And then, I don't know about you, I'm kind of sensitive. If I had a stain on my shirt, I'd be like, I can't go to church. Someone's going to ask about it. You know what? I'd rather just not deal with some embarrassing. And that's a small thing, but sometimes when we sin, we get so shameful and embarrassed. We don't, the last thing we want to do is see people. Yeah. And we're up and we're down. And when we're down, we're really down. We're depressed. And when we're up, we're way up. And we're so far up that we're like, and this is the scary part. When you don't have Christ as your anchor, uh, your highs make you too overly reliant on yourself. And your lows uh, make you overly depressed. When you're down without Jesus, you are down. And when you're up without Jesus, you, you, what do you think? Well, I did it. That's, yeah, I accomplished it. My hard work. I, I got it done. I did the ab workout. It was me. I got it all done. The depression is scary, but you know what's scarier to me is success. Because it's pride. And when we get pr- pr- prideful and things are going well, and you think, you know what? My campus ministry had five baptisms this, this year. Or five baptisms this week. Whatever it is, that, that how you quantify your success. And you go, you know who that was? I baptized those guys. Hey, you wanna, hey I, had, I baptized five, five guys or five girls. And, and sadly, we, we, we removed Jesus. And even in the, even in the church, this is it's a stench and it's disgusting. But we can't see it because it's dressed up. And 2,000 years ago, actually, it's more like 3,000 years ago, Moses knew it. He said, listen, cleanse your heart, not your garment. Cleanse your heart, not your clothes. Stop trying to be outwardly impressive and get down to it. The problem is, the reason that we, can't, we struggle to get into our heart, we struggle to get, get close with one another, is that we can't get vulnerable with each other because we don't get vulnerable with Jesus. We can't get deep with each other because we're not getting deep with Jesus. But it's, it's hard to get deep with Jesus. I don't know about you. I'd much rather talk about sports. I was talking with David about sports. And it's, it's easy. It's much harder to say, man, how's your marriage? Man, how's your, how's your faith? How's it going in that class? How, you know, how's it going at school with that girl? You know, that, do you ever feel tempted to flirt with her and, and say some things and kind of you know, try to get acceptance from her? And those are hard things to talk about. It's risky to be vulnerable. It's risky to be open. It's risky to go to church when you know that people are going to ask you questions about where you've been. You know it's, ri- it's risky to be able to open yourself up and say, I'm hurting. To open yourself up and say, I'm struggling. To open yourself up and say, I feel disillusioned. That's hard to do. My first point is a risky redeemer. Go to 1 John chapter 1. So some of you might be skeptical out there and say, I hear what you're saying, 
But what's the answer? That's just life, right? Just trying not to get hurt. You're saying, Drew, I'm a skeptic. I need an airtight argument, man. I need an airtight argument that Jesus is going to deliver. I need something that I need an airtight argument that Jesus really is who he says he was, that he really was the son of God, and that he died and rose on the third day. I need an airtight argument. Have any of you taken a philosophy 101 class? It's the first thing you learn in philosophy 101 is that you can't prove anything. I can't prove to you right now that I'm not a butterfly dreaming about being a preacher. I can't prove it. So when someone asks you for an airtight argument about Jesus, ask them, do you have an airtight argument about anything? And they go, no. Well, then, what do you want? But people want the airtight argument, right? But I can't, we can't provide that. No one can provide that for anything. So we need to stop trying. But here's the thing about Jesus. First John 1, we there? First John 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and we have looked at with our hands and touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. When John talks about the word of life, the word, remember, remember Deuteronomy? These are the words. When John talks about the word of life, he says the logos, that's the Greek word, the logos of life. Now the word logos for them meant the logic. Remember John 1 in the beginning was the word. He was with God in the beginning. People talked about Jesus like he was the word. He was the logic of God. And what's interesting is John doesn't say we have the logic of God. This is what he said. These were the commands. We had to obey the commands. And now we know the truth. John goes, no, the logic of God, like the supreme logic of Yahweh, we heard his voice. We touched him. We saw him. We connected with him. We don't have an airtight argument in Christianity. We have an airtight person. We have somebody you can look at and say, he is the logic of God. And God gave us exactly what we needed. We struggle to connect. We struggle to be vulnerable. We struggle to deny ourselves. God didn't send us more commands and say, here's more commands. Obey them and you'll get everything you wanted. No, he says, you know what they need? They need a person. They need a relationship. They need a friendship. They need someone who's going to hang in there with them. Who's going to cry with Mary when her brother Lazarus is dead. He needs somebody who's going to be down there and connect with people. We need someone who's going to be able to understand what it's like. We have Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus that's so incredible. There's a woman uh, in the 60s named Kitty Genovese. And Kitty was in New York and she was walking home one night. And she was attacked. She was mugged. And while she's being mugged, several lights in the apartment complex go turn on because they can hear her screaming. And the mugger looks up and thinks that, you know, the jig is up. He's got to stop. People are going to intervene. So he backs up. Well, he, he, after about 20, 30 seconds, he realizes no one's coming. So he continues to mug Kitty and he kills her. And it, it turns out that the New York Times reported that there were 37 who saw the murder and didn't call the police. There were 37 people who saw what was happening in New York and did not leave the apartment. They did not intervene. Why didn't they do that? Because it's risky. 
What if I get hurt? What if, what if I die? I don't know that girl. I don't, maybe she, I don't know. Maybe she deserves it. I, I don't. It's, not, it's none of my business. And because the reality is, guys, the reality is it's, it's risky to leave the apartment. Because if you leave the apartment, you think, I might get hurt. I might die. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus went from being the logic of God to flesh on earth, to human, to, to us. They're risky. Jesus left the apartment. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't leave the apartment thinking he would get hurt. He left the apartment knowing he would get hurt. Jesus didn't leave the apartment thinking he would die. He left the apartment knowing he would die. He didn't think, oh, I might have to know. He knew that he would be rejected. He knew that no one would be there for him on the night he was killed. He knew that despite loving us the way he has, we would continue to sin and struggle and take our time and be addicted to sin. He knew all that and he still left the apartment. That's incredible. Jesus heard you screaming. He heard you screaming for help. In your addiction to pornography. He heard you screaming for help in your addiction to relationships. Your idol of success. You, you work so hard for money or for prestige. Your idol of independence. He heard you screaming and he left the apartment. And that's an amazing thing. That's an incredible thing. He did it knowing that we might not love him back. And in many cases he knew that many of us would not love him back. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.14. The beauty of what Jesus does for us is it is unlike any other religion in the world. Every other religion says, follow this book and I will embrace you. Follow these rules and I will love you. Follow these rules and you can go to heaven. Jesus says, no. I will embrace you first. Trusting that that will inspire you to obey. I will love you first. Trusting that that will overwhelm your heart to obey. I will accept you first. Exactly as you are. Trusting that that will be boundless. Boundless expectations for obedience. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to do everything. If you're like, Drew, why weren't you at church? Versus in light of what Jesus has done for you, what are you willing to do for him? I'm going to be at church. And I'm going to be early. And I'm going to set up chairs. And I'm going to stay late. I'm going to talk to that person who it looks pretty different than me or acts pretty different than me. I'm going to do whatever I can for Jesus because he left the apartment for me. He loved me first. He was risky. He was a risky redeemer. He made himself vulnerable. If he did that for me, of course I can do it for him. No problem. And if people let you down, and they will let you down. When they do, it won't destroy you. It won't kill you. When you succeed, and you'll succeed, it won't overly inflate you. Because it's all about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.14, one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live for themselves. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and was raised again. Christ's love controls us. To no longer live for ourselves. See we got to turn around. 
To no longer live for those things, but to rather live for him who died for us and was raised again. This is the call for all of us. My last point as we close out is revealed for our repentance. So it should be a risky redeemer revealed for our repentance. The reason that Christ was revealed, the reason that he was revealed in all of who he was, and he was not revealed as some supreme prideful ruler who dominated people. He was revealed as a vulnerable, loving brother, a friend, a cousin, someone who's going to hang in there with us. When he was revealed in all of his glory, the call is for us because of that to change. And let me get real. Repentance is easy when you really see Jesus and who he really is. When you meet the real Jesus, repentance is easy. Right. None of us can imagine what it would be like to... uh, have our lives saved. But if you needed a liver transplant, you know, and it was $75,000 and you were going to die and somebody gave you that liver transplant, it would be unthinkable, unthinkable if they said, hey, uh, I'm having a hard time right now uh, with my family. Do you mind coming over to just be with us? You would, you would be unthinkable to say no. They just saved your life. You're so overwhelmed with gratitude. Yeah, I'll be there. What else can I, can I bring food? Can I come, can I, what can I do? What's wrong? Is it your wife? Is it your kids? Is it your friend? How can I be there for you? Do you need any money? Do you need any help? What can I do? And the person wouldn't think they're trying to earn my love. No, because there's so much gratitude. It's such that you're overflowing with gratefulness that it's just natural. And it's easy and it's a relationship. And by the way, it brings you closer together. What we always wanted. A risky redeemer revealed for our repentance. When Jesus is Lord and Jesus anchors us, no matter if things go really well, if I bomb in a, in a sermon, Jesus is Lord. If things go, if things, uh, go really well, and, I, and maybe you, things go really well for you, and all, all the stuff's coming true that you wanted to come true. You don't start getting too big for your britches. You don't start getting too overly inflated and prideful and looking down on people. You go, Jesus is Lord. Who did it? Man, this happened because of Jesus. Praise God. We gotta change the way we talk to each other too. We talk about things. We gotta gotta talk about Jesus being the hero. If you have a great Bible study with someone, it's not because of the scripture you looked at, it's because of Jesus. Man, I had a great Bible study. I'm just great. I'm grateful that God put it on my heart to share that verse. I'm grateful that God put that other brother in there. I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit moved. We gotta change the way we talk. We talk too much like it's us. And we remove Jesus. No, he's the one who loved us first. He is always the hero. We don't have to be up and down. When we get down and discouraged, it doesn't matter about other people. It matters about the people aren't loving me enough. You know, it's okay. They're not Jesus. But Jesus is going to love you enough. And I know that we kind of know that fuzzily in some, you know, ethereal way. We really have to know it. It has to be real for us in those times. Because the exciting thing is, if we know it, Satan can never stop us. Satan has nothing on us. Nothing he does to us can ever stop us. We wonder how the first century church was able to be burned alive and tossed to wolves and torn apart and thrown on hot skillets and burned and tortured and laughed at. Pregnant women were being killed. We wonder how'd they do it? Because it wasn't about idols. It was about Jesus. Jesus was not a means to an end. Jesus is our end. We don't pursue Jesus to get a girlfriend. We pursue Jesus to get Jesus. We don't pursue Jesus to get a job. We pursue Jesus to get Jesus. And if that's the case for us, 
neither height nor depth, angels nor demons, the sword, nothing can stop us from understanding the love of Christ and letting that change our lives and in turn the lives of all of those around us. Thanks, brothers and sisters in Dallas. To God be the glory. Amen.